Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. A video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello. Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. He didn't make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And and I am your jolly Kyle, co-hosting today. Kyle. Uh, This episode is a very special episode for my good friend and co-worker, Justin Craig. Um, Justin's going through some medical issues right now, so I reached out to him and said, Hey, bud, uh, would you like me to do a one of your favorite movies for you? Uh, and hopefully we can do it justice. So I said, Give me, give me, uh, you know, a couple of your favorite movies, and if we haven't done them, we'll do one for you. So, of course, he gave me um, 
the breakfast club <laughs> and i was like well, well jesse you we, should have said that because we, yeah. uh the way that turned out you know uh well we trashed it in what episode three i believe it was of the whole entire podcast it really you guys favorite movie i believe right yeah another one of his favorite movies was halloween mm-hmm. which we already talked about earlier kyle that we, we covered that covered back that in 2019 one. yeah so he also gave me the horror movie scream so we hadn't done scream yet so we are going to do scream also at the end of uh, the normal podcast that me and Kyle are doing, we're going to put in some the video uh, feed that I did with Justin uh, last night. So uh, you'll hear from Justin and me as I t- we talk. And then I've asked any of your friends, family, coworkers, if they wanted to put in a audio clip for Justin, offering words of encouragement, prayers, jokes, whatever you want to do. He has not heard them. He will not hear them. Uh, they will be sent directly to me. He put it on his Facebook page. If they wanted to be on it, uh, get a hold of me. So... Uh, you'll hear me and Justin, then we'll go into some of his family and friends, uh, some of the stuff they wanted to say and well wishes. So, Justin, here we go. But first, let's go ahead and give Kyle a, a question. Okay, I'm ready for any question you have, any at all. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Always. All right, Kyle? Mm-hmm. You want to? Kyle. If you... <laughs> I can't even do it with a straight face. <laughs> if I don't even know if it's going to be a question. It's going to be a more of a statement. Are you ready? <laughs> Okay. If, now if, I'm really excited. If you were the killer in a movie like Scream, uh huh, it wouldn't be Ghostface. It would be Fat Face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> I got Kyle just rocking out of here. So no, I'm just trying. I had, to, I had to get you on something, man, because you always you always just sit there so innocently, come up with something crazy. I was like, I'm going to just get him this time. Uh, it's so dumb. <laughs> So it's perfect for you. So, so perfect. <laughs> okay, I've lost Kyle. We might have to pause this. He's, he's out there. Can you just imagine the mask being like this big? Like a, just like a, like a, like a the, manhole cover? The, 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 the white manhole cover. <laughs> just, just, just two eyes and a I think like the, the Kool-Aid gets, hey, hey, hey. You know, the Kool-Aid punch guy coming it, through the wall. That's my horror movie. I'm, just, I'm an evil Kool-Aid man. That's right. That's right. Oh, sorry, we got derailed I there, turn Justin. I people red like Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, uh, we got derailed there, though, no, so... Uh, Jimbo, that's really offensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it took you four minutes to tell me that? Uh, no, Kyle's uh, one of my good friends, too. Um, I loved it. You're fine, Jimbo. I know. I, 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 I had to get good. you on something. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, uh, do you have a favorite part of this movie? Well, we'll just... just I'll favorite throw that out there. Uh, your favorite killer killing scene of this movie? Uh, oh, e- easily the garage door scene, just... Uh, <laughs> You have like a, 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 the half horsepower garage door opener picking up, picking her up, and, and breaking her neck. That was hilarious. Yeah. Like it, it we'll, is, we'll dive into that. Some of the notes it, of it the is craziness like, of that like scene. Final destination absurdity that I really appreciate. That that was right. really really funny. Uh, definitely the moment where they really kind of went full tilt and just uh, just making fun of the own genre. I really appreciate that whole scene. Yeah. What was your favorite scene? I think the most memorable kill scene, obviously, besides the the opening one. The opening one is uh, really good. That's, I really that's thought, classic horror really good. I really thought when they killed the Fonz, you know, and they zoom in on yeah. his eyeball, and mm-hmm. you see the, the ghost face there. Yeah. I thought it was really cool, dude. Good, good so, part. Good part. Um, well, we've rambled on for a minute already, so let's go ahead and start this. Yeah, the production. whole thing. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll get it started here. We have the screen released on December 18th, 1996. You already graduated um, high school? Yes, you graduated high school. Um, I was three. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. We have uh, directed by, the screen was directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, 
Producers include Kathy Conrad and Carrie Woods. Composer was Marco Beltrami. Cinematographer was Mark Irwin. Editor was Patrick Lassier. Casting director was Lisa Beach. And production designer was Bruce Allen Miller. Budget for the time was $14 million, with the equivalent of about $24.8 million today. Opening weekend, it grossed $6.3 million, which would be equivalent of about $11.2 million today. Gross in the United States was $103 million. They'd be equivalent to about $183.1 million today. And gross worldwide, it made a whopping $173 million worth over $300 million in today's currency. Moving forward, we have technical details here. We have a runtime of exactly 111 minutes. Um, sound mix was Dolby Digital Audio. This is, of course, a color film, of course, released in 1996. I sure hope so. Um, aspect ratio is 2.39 by 1, or 24 by 1 aspect ratio, roughly. For cameras, we use the MovieCam Compact Claremont lenses and the Panavision Panaflex Platinum, the Panavision Primo, and C-Series lenses. For the film length, we have 3,049 meters. And for the process, we have Claremont Scope Anamorphic, Digital Intermediate for the 4K 2020-21 remaster, and Dolby Vision Panavision for the original for the original release. Okay, moving on to Terrence's favorite part, ladies and gentlemen, we have the awards. <laughs> ah, hurt my hurt my knuckle on that one. Yeah. Okay, first up, we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in the USA of 1997. We have a winner for Best Actress for Neve Campbell, Best Writer for Kevin Williamson, Best Supporting Actor for Skeet Aldrich, Best Supporting Actress for Drew Barrymore, and Best uh, and best Director for Wes Craven. Next up, we have the, uh, yeah, the ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards. Um, we have the winner for the top box office film. And we have the awards for Circuit's Community Awards in 1996. We have a nominee for Best Original Screenplay and nominee for honorable mentions for the best for the top ten best picture contenders. Um, next up, we have the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards from 1997 for the best wide-release film. Then we have a winner for Best Actress for Neve Campbell again. Uh, best Supporting Actress, Drew Barrymore. Best Screenplay for Kevin Williamson, once more. And Best Supporting Actor, Skeet Ulrich again. Next up, we have the International Horror Guild in 1997. We have a winner for the IHG Award for Best Movie. And we have the MTV Movie Plus TV Awards in 1997. It was the winner for Best Movie and Best Female Performance. Um, nominee for Best Female Performance, sorry, not a winner. Online Film and Television Association 1997 gave it the nominee for Best Sci-Fi Fantasy Slash Horror Picture. And the best sci-fi, fantasy, and horror actress. Moving forward, we also have, lastly, the Turkish Film Critics Association, uh, where it was a nominee for Best Foreign Film for the Turkish Film Board. <laughs> then moving forward, we have the main dish for Kyle here. Um, the pigs I like to chomp up the most. The main dish for Fat Face. The main dish for Fat Face Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Can't, can't keep doing that one. Um, yeah, that's not, a, let's not Let's not let that one stick. Um, the cast. They quit saying dish every time you say that. I gotta stop saying dish now. All right, two. Okay, we have the cast. 
Uh, first up for the top billing, we have Drew Barrymore playing Casey. Um, you, of course, recognize Drew Barrymore in a host of Adam Sandler movies like The Wedding Singer in 1998 and films like 50 First Dates and Never Been Kissed. Yeah, and Never Been Kissed in 1999. Then we have Roger Jackson playing the phone voice um, for um, the... Uh, now, fat face, ghost face. Now, constantly I think I just could be on scary movie, you know. Yeah, that, <laughs> the parody. Uh, Roger Jackson also reprised his role for the um, phone voice, the ghost voice, phone voice, ghost face, ghost, ghost phone voice. There we go. In Scream Four. Next up, we have Kevin Patrick Walls playing Steve. He was in the film Blade in 1998. David Booth played Casey's father, and in in, he was also in the film The Chronicle in 2001. Then we have Carla Hatley playing Casey's mother. Um, she's actually best known for just playing in the movie Scream 1986. Then we have Neve Campbell playing Sydney. Um, she, of course, was popular in Scream 2 in 97, the year after. And she was also in Wild Things in 1988 and The Craft in 1996. Next up, we have Skeet Ulrich. Um, also seen in movies such as The Cast, in, uh, seen as The Craft back in 1986, and As Good As It Gets in 1997. Moving forward. I was four. I was four. <laughs> yes, I was four. <laughs> then we have, of course, the legendary Courtney Cox playing Gail Weathers. Um, she's, of course, most popularly known for her role in the show Friends. Uh, I can't remember her name in the role in Friends, but uh, she was in that movie show for a very long time. She was also in Ace Ventura, a pet detective mm-hmm. in 1994. And she was in the Masters of the Universe movie in 1987. <sighs> we talked about that earlier. That's we one have. Good it's, one. it's been an ongoing topic outside the podcast right now. we got to cover the movie again soon sometime. More, more He-Man is always good for us. W. Earl Brown plays Kenny. Um, he was in the show um, Deadwood in 2004. And he was also in the film There's Something About Mary. <laughs> Next up, we have David Arquette, who is uh, playing Deputy Dewey. Um, he was in such films as Never Been Kissed in 1999, Eight-Legged Freaks in 2002, and Ready to Rumble in 2000. And funny enough, looking at my notes here, I just wrote down Ready to Ready, not Ready to Rumble. And not only that, but uh, he actually went up and took up uh, professional wrestling. Yeah, for so a while. So he's now, yeah. no, he's a wrestler, and he's still the champion, I, I do re- believe. I remember, uh, oh, he has an ongoing feud with some guy on Twitter that I really yeah. appreciate. I got look up his name again another time uh, I always have the Facebook page um, <laughs> next up we have Jason Whip playing Sheriff Burke um, he was also on A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984 and the movie Amazon in 1986 and of course we have the legendary Shaggy himself Matthew Lillard playing Stuart he was in, of course, in the live-action Scooby-Doo film in 2002. I think legendary would be the voice of Casey Kasem playing Shaggy, not... I think Matthew Lillard is the definitive Shaggy. Oh, we, we'll, this we, is, we can find this out is, this later. This is the, the, you can obviously tell the two different age groups here. <laughs> Matthew Lillard is Shaggy. He did play a great Shaggy. Matthew Lillard is just a real-life Shaggy in person. That's, that's the whole point. <laughs> um, he, of course, was in the live-action Scooby-Doo in 2002, directed by James Gunn, who also of Guardians of Galaxy frame. And, of course, he was also in Hackers in 1995. And the movie Without a Paddle in 2004. <laughs> you had to throw that one in there. Without a Paddle. That's one of these right. things is not like the other. <laughs> I liked Without a Paddle. I thought it was good. It was funny. Um, next up, we have Jamie Kennedy playing Randy. Um, he was in the movie Son of the Mask back in 2005. <laughs> you know, the you know the, the, the movie with the definitive the abomination. Loki. The definitive Loki. Not, 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 not Tom Hiddleston making an iconic Loki. It's the the other Loki. <laughs> And of course, he was also in uh, Malibu's Most Wanted. I think that oh, came out in two thousand three. No. That movie is also just 
I think I I think I watched that once after it came out on like VHS or DVD. You know what the sad thing is? Again. I think I went to the page to go to the movies to see I, that I one. Feel so bad for you. <laughs> that look, that movie just looks all awful. And you, but you watched it, right? I, I, I you probably own it. on I Voodoo. have been the in the vicinity of it. Do you own it on Voodoo? I, I hope I don't. That's <laughs> not a movie I want any money towards at all. I don't want to give Jamie Kennedy any money either. That guy is weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not nice him at all. Jamie Kennedy, I don't like you. And you thought I was brutal to Kyle earlier. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Kennedy is a fat face of a human being. Wow. And there's an uh, onboard Twitter feed <laughs> war between Jamie Kennedy If we ever become popular, Kyle. just I have an ongoing Twitter beef with Jamie Kennedy from now on. That's he doesn't even know who be. you are. <laughs> That's why i got to get famous so I can have a beef with Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> 20 years after he was relevant. <laughs> Um, okay, next up we have C.W. Morgan playing Hank Loomis. Um, Hank Loomis uh, made multiple appearances in the Scream movies, including Scream 3 and I believe Scream 4 as well. Next up we have Frances Lee McCain, who we just mentioned on the uh, Gremlins episode just a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's playing Mrs. Riley in this film, and she was also in Back to the Future in 1985. Next up we have Leave, uh, Leave Schreiber, Schreiber, there we go, Schreiber, playing Cotton Weary. Um, uh, he was a uh, best known as playing uh, Sabretooth in um, the X-Men films. He was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. And he he's was a also, good actor. He's a really good actor. I, I just butchered his name and I feel bad for that because he could beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want a Twitter feud with him? I don't want a Twitter feud. I don't want any feud with him. I just want him to be nice to me. I just give him a nice big hug and say, you are strong and big. Yes, good for you, man. Um, he was also um, in the Ray Donovan show in two, from 2013 to 2020, which my dad is actually a big fan of. So, cool for him on cool. that. And I believe that is uh, the cast of Scream, except for, except one, for one uncredited, uncredited role. <laughs> Of the of Ashlow legendary legendary actor Henry hey. Winkler playing Professor <laughs> Arthur Henry, of course, best known as the Fonz. The Fonz, the Fonz yeah. really. and also a classic Adam Sandler film, The Water Boy in '98. <laughs> really, <laughs> one of these that. things is not like the other there too. Uh, I like Water Boy. I like Water Boy. <laughs> so that is the cast of Scream. Jimbo, All right. take the words away from me. Now, there's a lot of information here, Kyle. So. Feel free to ad-lib, talk about any points you want to stop and talk about here. Are you ready? Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready, Absolutely. Justin? Here we go. Jimbo, go for it. I believe in you. The party scene near the end of the film runs 42 minutes long. 42 minutes. It was shot over the course of 21 days from the time the sun set to the time it rose. After it wrapped, the crew had t-shirts made that read, I survived scene 118, which was the name of the scene during shooting. The cast and crew jokingly called it the longest night in horror history. Wow, that is insane. That is crazy. I, I believe it just because that, that that felt like half the movie to me in a lot of ways. Where I, I guess it was. <laughs> Pretty much was. Yeah, <laughs> it, was like, it was just like, I, I thought they'd be like, oh, this is like the last scene. The movie's going to end soon. And then it just kept going and going and going. Not in a bad way, but it just kept going. <laughs> a lot of this movie has references to other horror movies. Specifically, yeah. And we're going to get into some of those in this. I just want everybody to... Especially a lot of like too. Michael Myers. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, especially Michael one. Myers. I felt like. Yeah, so at, at 12 minutes of the movie, around there, uh, mm-hmm. when Drew Barrymore's character Casey's uh, parents come home to find something is wrong, her father tells her mother to go to the McKenzie's, which is the same thing Lori, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, told Lindsay, uh, Kyle Richards, and Tommy, Brian Andrews, to do in Halloween in 1978. So it's obviously a direct reference to Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Drew Barrymore and F. Campbell did not meet Roger Jackson, the actor who played the voice. 
You know, all this time I thought that was one of the two actors that were, you know, Matthew Lillard or... Oh, uh, Matthew Lillard uh, or Skeet, uh, Skeet Aldridge. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was always one of their voices. No, no, but they had Roger Jackson do the actual... That's what I'm saying. Part. Yeah, and then, like, at the end of the movie, even when they hold up the microphone, it doesn't sound like Roger Jackson at all. You know, like, yeah, you, I was you like... thought they would have, like, dubbed him in for the, that split second and get it done, but they didn't do it. Yeah, I, I and you could tell the two that. different voices. Even yeah. when Neff Campbell came on there, too, it would be cool to have her voice yeah. be... Roger Jackson in right. that moment, that would have been really great. <laughs> uh, so, uh, they never met him before shooting commenced. Whenever they are talking on the phone to the killer, they are actually talking to him. In fact, none of the cast met him. Craven thought that would be better to bring out the shock reactions he needed from everyone when they heard that voice. So that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's really that's, awesome. That's some smart directing right there from Wes Craven. Wes Craven, also a legendary act, uh, director in his own right for a lot of horror movies. About 52 minutes into the movie, when Henry Winkler opens the closet, his black leather Fonzie jacket from Happy Days 1974 is hanging on it. Yeah. I love that his, his name was, uh, was it Wimbley or something like that? It was Sensible, like... Uh, I gotta look it up again real quick. It was, yeah, Arthur Hembry. Yeah. And me and my dad saw Hembry on the glass, like... You know, is this is this first name Wrinkler? Oh, well, no, but but also all, all Arthur, Arthur, Henry. Arthur Fonzarelli, Arthur Fonzarelli. They're right. Okay, so yeah, it was definitely kind of a, 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 a wink and a nod to his legacy. And this is this next fact is true because I watched through the whole entire credits till the very end, and this is in there. So the high school scenes were to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California. However, very close to the shooting date, the school board read the script and denied the film to be shot there due to the violent nature. As they have been under the impression the film was a comedy, which it kind of is a comedy, comedy horror. If yeah, you I, I would say, yeah. And yeah. production was moved to Heldsburg, California. As payback, director Wes Craven put in the end credits under the special thanks section to no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. It's actually in there. I saw that's it last fantastic. night. fantastic. I love that level. That's some, <laughs> the that's little. Some, that's some next level pettiness right there. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate that. Good for you guys. Uh, Go get him. Jamie <laughs> Kennedy, Kyle's arch nemesis, was chosen for the role of Randy <laughs> because he would often improvise humor into his lines, which made uh, direct, director Wes Craven laugh. I thought he was one of the best ones in this movie, personally. This film he's good in. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything else. Because he's like, especially like, you gotta know the rules of the horror. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Kyle, what are what are the rules of the horror movies? You can never have sex. <laughs> that's, the, well, that's the one I heard. <laughs> you can never say "I'll be right back." Yeah, um, and uh, I can't remember the other ones besides that. Those are the only two I remember. Well, uh, I forget. Like, don't go upstairs when you should be running out the front doors. Oh yeah, something like that. Well, that was uh, I think the first, uh, the second ghost face scene. Like, oh yeah, the lady always goes upstairs when she should be going outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Courtney Cox approached the production to pursue her role. She was interested in playing the bad character to offset her nice friend's image. The image was the main reason why the producers didn't want to cast her to begin with, and they refused to consider her for the part. Cox continued to lobby uh, to the studio so she felt she could believably play this character. Ultimately, her efforts paid off, and she won the role. Yeah, and especially work considering like her kind of like you know, her redemption at the end, where she's you know helping you know right. her, her out to you know save the day. So yeah, yeah, I think it was a good role for her, and she did play it very well. The use of caller ID increased more than threefold after the release of this film. <laughs> That's ridiculous, but also I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drew Barrymore shot all of her scenes in the first five days of production. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm not leaving. I, I, I believe that I have to be later on, but I believe Wes Craven actually only signed on specifically to meet Drew Barrymore, and that's a really odd thing for an old guy to do. But not, not, not to me, but just because. She was part of the movie, you know what I mean? And he wanted a director, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you saying it's creepy Wes Craven? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying Wes Craven may have had a 
weird obsession with Drew Barrymore. Well, now Kyle has a feud going in the afterlife. No, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, you know, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying, like, it's a weird reason to sign up to a movie. Like, oh, Drew Barrymore's on Well, there's another reason, too. We'll get to the Yeah, yeah. On top of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, During production, Ghostface signature black robe was going to be white to make him appear even more like a ghost. Ghostly. But this was changed. Why? Because they were afraid of people comparing the costume to those that of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Let's face the wizard. Um, Okay, that's bad. Um. Uh, Being a favorite of screenwriter Kevin Williamson, Molly Ringwald was offered the role of Sidney Prescott, but turned it down saying she'd rather not be playing a high school student at the age of 27. Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one. Could she have done it? You know, I think Molly Ringwald is a fantastic actress, but I mean... It's, it's, it's if, the kids, if the kids from Beverly Hills 90210 can play high school kids when they were in their 30s. That, that's 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 always a fun thing. It was like Growing up as a kid, you see movies about like high schoolers and you assume that all high schoolers look like adults. And then you become an adult and you realize, like, oh, none of these <laughs> actors look like kids anymore to me. I can't see uh, The special effects department <laughs> artists used about 50 gallons of blood. Here it is. What's Craven on this? He turned down the film. He signed on to direct after Drew Barrymore agreed to appear in the film. Also, he was confronted by a young little boy fan who was about 10 years old. The boy accused Craven of going soft <laughs> and that he had more guts back in the day when he was making <laughs> movies like Last House on the I Left. I love that. That pushed him over the edge and he called the people at Miramax and agreed to do Scream. He what? got called out by a 10-year-old. What? What what kind of parents let a ten year old see the original laugh last house? That's what I was going to say too. That he said he was going soft because he had to. I was like, wow, that movie is so dark. (laughs) Exactly. That's not even a. That's I don't even like that movie. (laughs) Uh, When Bob Weinstein watched parts of the first scenes filmed, the rough cuts, he said that the mask used was idiotic. He asked the producers to film one scene with seven different masks and let him choose the one that he liked the most. Producers didn't agree and threatened to shut down production. They told him to wait until the first sequence, which was Drew Barrymore's, was completed, and then he could decide. After watching it, he happily agreed uh, to the mask use and didn't want to make any another complaint for the rest of the film. Or he did make a complaint for the rest of the film. I think that kind of leads to the film a little bit. Like, I, I love the fact that Ghostface actually is the most kind of like absurd-looking serial killer. Yeah, you can't tell if he's crying or laughing or screaming. You know, it's got yeah, all those emotions. Yeah. It's got all those kind of emotions into it, and also it just it looks silly still, but in a good way where like it plays in the film because like these are dumb kids committing murders. It's not like Freddy Krueger or Jason who are actually meant to be menacing in a way, right. you know. At around 13 minutes at the beginning of the film, Billy climbs through Sydney's bedroom window, startling her just like Glenn, Johnny Depp, did to Nancy, Heather Langenkamp, in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. Another callback. Uh, At around 1 hour and 30 minutes, it is mentioned near the end of the film that they used corn syrup dyed red for the blood of several famous horror movies. During the film's climax, of course, the production crew really did use corn syrup dyed red, and remember Billy's like, ah, corn syrup just tasted it, yeah. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Uh, the mask is based on a few things. The painting Scream by Edvard Munch, the characters of the cover of the Pink Floyd album The Wall, and the ghostly characters that appeared in the 1930s Betty Boop cartoon. Uh, the mask is stark white and depicts a caricature of someone screaming and crying at the same time. Uh, Jacques Phoenix turned down the role of Billy Loomis. Huh. Could he have pulled it off? Joaquin Phoenix at the time. That young? I mean, yes, but also it just... I think he had a better career at him for not doing it. Um, you don't really see many movies of Skeet Aldridge anymore, but you still see a lot of movies of Joaquin Phoenix right now. Of course, the new Joker. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Uh, he's also Johnny Cash and Walk the Line. That was a great movie too. Oh yeah, fantastic movie. Walking Phoenix has gone on to have an amazing career. Uh, if anything, like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like Scream would have hurt his franchise. I mean, traditionally, like um, like horror movie actors don't have much of a future outside of that genre. Well, that's why Neve Campbell. Uh, um, she got called from a bunch of different horror movies when they're doing. She didn't want to become a screen queen. So yeah, she's so like, it, it takes a lot to, it, you know. Like, but yeah, here she is coming back for the new one. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to keep you get anything. You got to do something. Days. But you know, even like, you know, like a lot of actors, you know, that's a struggle. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, that's the same thing that happened to um, the guy from the original Psycho, Anthony. Uh, oh, oh, it's, it's yeah. just slipped yeah. my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he got he didn't want he got yeah he got offers to play more killers yeah he got typecasted and he, yeah. he can't uh, mm-hmm. yeah man, what's his last name Anthony uh, I'm looking it up right now I have it here in just a few seconds okay. just keep moving forward and I'll get um, all the killers phone calls were really done by Roger Jackson on set with a cell phone at one point the crew were contacted by police demanding to know who they were because they thought that they were a real killer making the phone calls <laughs> yeah Anthony Perkins Perkins was the name of the original that's what actors who played Norman Bates right yeah he got typecast too so. yeah yeah same thing so yeah. Hollywood's a tough deal. <laughs> At 35 minutes, although the killer's costume is often referred to as Ghostface, the costume is actually called Father Death. A Dewey brings a costume and labeled package into the police station after Sydney is first attacked. So it's Father, Father Death. Death Father not Ghostface. Death. That's cr- nice. uh, he has, he has His son Death is really you know, it's just a, a much different character. <laughs> and, and Mother Earth, she really takes a bath. <laughs> Mother Life, yeah. <laughs> uh, at around 58 minutes, Tori Spelling was considered for the role of Sydney Prescott. Kyle, could she have pulled it off? Yeah, yeah, totally. At one point in the movie, when discussing who would play her in the movie, Dewey says he sees Sydney as a young Meg Ryan. Sydney replies with, with my luck, it would be Tori Spelling. (laughs) She would eventually cameo and scream too as Sydney Prescott in the fictional inverse uh, universe uh, film Stab that they're making fun of. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Here's another one for the role of Stu. Freddie Prince Jr., yes or no? Freddie Prince Jr. can do anything he wants, so yes. <laughs> uh, Wes Craven mentioned the fact that Sheriff Burke wears the same kind of boots as Ghostface um, when he's seen where he's smoking and talking to Dewey. This was intended as misdirection. Like, oh, they may not be the, yeah. who you think you are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely the idea of like, anyone could be the murderer at the end of the film. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk about later how it affected the whole genre. <laughs> this one kills me. At around 46 minutes, the cheerleader in the washroom scene was played by one of Skeet Ulrich's girlfriends. Just one of how many? You know? one of, all of them. <laughs> all of the other girls were actually his girlfriend. Uh, Tatum's house is right across the street from house in Santa Rosa, California, used in Pollyanna in 1960. It is also across the street from the house used in Sir Alfred Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt in 1943. The house in the opening scene was uh, next door to the house used in Cujo in 1983. So huh. some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, the ghost face mask was first developed for novelty stores during the Halloween seasons between 1991 and 1992 by Fun World employee Bridget uh, Slyerton as part of a series titled Fantastic Faces. The mask itself, uh, known as the Peanut Eyed Ghost. <laughs> Wes Craven claimed to have originally found the mask, but later clarified that he had misremembered the event and that it was producer Marianne Madalena who discovered it. She found it while inside the house, uh, inside the house during location scouting of the film, and brought it to the attention of Wes Craven, who was uh, set about trying to obtain the rights to use it. Fun World licensing director R.J. Torbit joined uh, Fun World in 1996 and was given the task of naming the mask prior to its film debut, deciding on Ghostface with the blessing of Fun World owner Stanley and Alan Geller. 
Torbett felt it looked like a ghost in pain, believing it to be a unique design. The ghost face design and title are owned by Fun World. So, wow, yeah, I didn't know there was a mask before this. Yeah, there actually is a real life mask. It was the ghost face killer for for ghost face. That's that's interesting. I like that. Uh, Drew Barrymore insists on shooting all of her scenes barefoot because her part of the movie was brief, and she doesn't like wearing shoes. So. Yeah, yeah, more yeah, power yeah. to you. We have like, we have but like, she could have got away if she would have had those shoes yeah, on. Exactly. She, if you just had a good set of sneakers, she would have been live today. Poor uh, Drew Barrymore. The bathroom, <laughs> like she's really dead. Okay, uh, the kids are The dead. bathroom in which Sydney is attacked is the same one used in the Stab Three set and Scream Three. So they're still making parodies of the Scream stuff in the movie. So yeah, uh, Elizabeth Berkeley auditioned for the role of Gail Weathers. But was immediately turned down due to the backlash she received for Showgirls in 1995. Oh my gosh, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. Uh, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, uh, asked to go uncredited because the producers did not want to detract any attention from the younger, lesser-known actors. Uh, and even though he only appears for three scenes in the film, all of which take place in his office. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was good of him. Yeah, I imagine because like I, I don't know how the union rules necessarily work or how the payout worked, but like yeah, you don't want him to be like front billing. <laughs> scream starring Henry Winkler doesn't have the <laughs> Henry same Winkler's to, scream. Henry Winkler's scream. Yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't work. These are people that audition or were considered for the role of Sydney Prescott. Tell me if you think they could have done it. Yes. Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart. Yes, I can see that. Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Alicia Witt. Yes. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because you don't know who she is? Because I don't know who any of these people are. I'm just saying yes. You don't know who these people are? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, then no. Uh, there's also They're, Melanie Linsky and Melinda were, Clark. They were actresses young enough to play a teenager. That's fine. <laughs> Which would have been right around. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like they could have had any kind of. It, it's it's not that she did it. They, they all did a. Neve Campbell did a great job and the other actresses did a great job, but like sometimes like you can kind of just put any actor in that role because the whole point is that they're just kind of a generic person at that point. Wow, um, Kyle's on a roll today. I'm just, I'm just hitting them on the head. I'm just being so mean to this movie. I like this movie. It's really good. <laughs> at around one hour and eight minutes after Billy takes Sydney upstairs, uh, Randy is upset and tells Stu, there goes my chance with Sid. Stu says... As if, to which Randy implies, oh really, Alicia? This was a nod to another pop culture classic, Clueless, from 1995, which starred Alicia Silverstone. So, <laughs> never knew there was a Clueless a reference really in the screen. Weird, that's a weird reference in this film. Uh, in order to keep animal lover Drew Barrymore scared and crying, Wes Craven told her real-life ghost stories of animal cruelty before filming started. <laughs> And he said, and he said during the DVD commentary, the night before we started shooting, she told me a horrible story about a newspaper article about a dog being burnt by its owners, petrified her, and she started crying as she was telling me this. So every time that I needed her to get over that, uh, over the edge and into complete tears, I would just say, Drew, lighting the lighter, <laughs> she would just burst into tears. Oh my God, it's so cruel. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> That is so mean. But how many times can you say lighting light really again? And she still goes into person to characters. That just... Oh no, that's so oh, bad. Man. This is a friendly thing. Where, like you want to torture your friends. That's absolutely a thing. Like that's why he really married. That's why he really signed on to do this film just yeah. to make her cry. Just to make her cry. Uh, Reese so Witherspoon. Bad. Witherspoon turned down the role, lead role. She's one of my favorite actresses. Reese really Witherspoon would have done a great job yep. this too. I'm sure. Uh, Drew Barrymore wears a wig in the opening scene. Sequence? That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Sony Pictures filed a lawsuit against Dimension Films and Miramax, claiming that the title Scream 
infringed on the copyright of Sony's own Screamers from 1995. I was like, how is this even possible? Two different words. Screamers. After the case was settled out of court, so they must have got a settlement, the details remain confidential. Nobody knows what, how much they paid, what happened. Uh, Scream that. 2 producer Marion Maddalena considered that the case was a result of other issues between the two companies and did not truly pertain to the film's moniker. Madalena uh, confirmed that the studio was free to use the Scream brand for future films. Yeah, so they like, like, eventually there has to be a whole thing of like, here, sign this contract, here's some shut up money, and then go your way. That's all that's just a, uh, Brooke you know. Shields was nearly cast as Gail Weathers. I could have seen that. And Janine, or after Janine Garofalo turned down the role. Uh, filming took place over eight weeks, so. And then, tw- what did you say, it was 22 days of that, you know, so like. Yeah, 21 days of shooting 21 days, night, yeah, so, so eight weeks. So, so three like, weeks yeah, of yeah, that. So almost. Four weeks. Yeah. Uh, Half it was just that scene. <clears throat> Stu's house, which is uh, the location for the entire third act, is a house on Tamala's Road, east of Tamala's Bay, that had only recently become available after the death of its owners. The script went on a sell on a Friday. By Monday, it was the subject of a fierce bidding war. Seth Green auditioned for the role of Randy. I could have seen that, too. Absolutely. Seth Green died <laughs> right. right in the same ballpark at that time. <laughs> yep. Joseph Whip played the sheriff here, and he plays a cop in Nightmare on Elm Street. Kevin Williamson stated, so the backstory there that I put is in it was that he was so upset by the events in Nightmare on Elm Street that he moved to a small town in Northern California. Yeah. So they were going to connect them, literally. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, fun fact here. I, I had to look up David Arquette on Twitter again just to remember all the stuff he did. I remember, like, his, like his, his, what I consider his number one rival is the wrestler RJ City. <laughs> really? Yes, yes, yes. Who is is very popular for making breakfast in his underwear on Twitter live every morning. <laughs> Which Kyle subscribes to. Obviously. And they always feud on Twitter. Very, very funny. Very, very good stuff. All in good fun, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's also followed by Mark Hamill and Mick Foley. Cool. Oh, <laughs> good no. For him. Uh, the, good guy. The, let's get back to it. The Beaver Kill falls <laughs> onto Dewey. Had to be reached out multiple times. As the pair would immediately start giggling on every take. <laughs> because great. they did fall in love in this movie. Yeah, or, yeah. On the set. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Craven initially moved the bit where Casey says, um, the first Nightmare on Elm Street film is great, but the rest suck. Because I thought that would make me look like an egomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Sydney types her d- distress call out to the online 911 system as she enters 34 Elm Street as her address, but it was cut for time. So, oh, uh, West Craven and Ridley could have missed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when this film had uh, had been released, slashers has mostly gone out of style and were considered a dead subgenre of the horror at the time. Uh, the film's success is credited for revitalizing interest in slashers and is and is why so as why so I know our blah, 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 why Words. I know what yeah. you did last summer uh, was even greenlit in the first place. Oh wow! Yeah. So. Uh, Neff Campbell, who uh, herself doesn't uh, like horror movies, kept receiving numerous horror scripts, as we talked about, and she turned them all down as she didn't want to be a scream queen. Yeah, but that was also the kind of like inspiring the revival of the horror genre. Like we wouldn't have like a series of like sh- like Saw now or something like that. Right. Like, those kind of those kind of films, there's, or in Hostile and other yeah other films like that. And of course, you know, Nightmare and uh, I know we did last summer, which I think they made like four or five of those movies. Um, yeah. For the penetrating effect of knives, the production used collapsible blades to prevent injury. <laughs> I was like, well, you use real ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the studio offered the role of Sydney to Claire Danes. Do you know who Claire Danes is? Yes, I do know Claire Danes. Wow. Yes. All right, we got one. I have that one. Um, at one hour and 27 minutes, the van stunt was supposed to see the vehicle go off the road immediately and flip, but it kept going and slammed into the trees. The stunt woman. Also, that's a little bit more believable. I survived that wreck, too. <laughs> right. that, that's a, Excuse that's me. a head injury. Uh, but the stunt woman was safe and unhurt, so 
Good, good, good. One very obviously not to the classic horror film Halloween is that Sydney's boyfriend's last name, Loomis. This, of course, references Dr. Samuel Dr. Loomis, Loomis, who yeah. was Michael Myers' psychiatrist in Halloween. Before Randy explains the rules, he pauses Halloween at the exact point where Michael raises the knife to stab Bob. Throughout his explanation of the slasher rules, Randy stands in front of the television with Michael Myers' knife pointed ominously at his back. This foreshadows a later scene in which Ghostface raises his knife to stab Randy in the back but stops midway in his back, allowing Randy to survive. So, mm-hmm. it's, I like yeah. when they do little stuff like that. Yeah, I bet it's been pieced together at least by fans or something like that now, but I would like to actually get a clear, uh, like, a, just a, a lineup of, like, which times the Ghostface was Matthew was uh, either Skeet Oldridge or Matthew Lillard in the scene. Do we have that? We have some of oh, it. We have some of it. All right. We're getting there. I'm still so excited. Here. All right. Uh, Tatum says to Dewey earlier that they're leaving the police station. Janitor is your superior. And the janitor at the high school is actually played by none other than Wes Craven, who's the director, uh, is also the superior to the actress and actresses. And he is wearing the red and green stripes on the janitor thing, just like Freddy Krueger did, which awesome. is hilarious. That's fantastic. Love that. Love it. Drew Barry is Moore's blonde wig, and the only scene is based on Michelle Fiverr's hairstyle and Scarface. Oh, that's cool. Uh, here's cameos in this. I, I did not know this either. Linda Blair. At around cool. 39 minutes, the Auburn reporter who says people want to know, they have a right to know. She stared, started another classic film, of course, The Exorcist, in yeah. 1973. And Wes Craven had also cast her in The Summer of Fear in 1978. Uh, the director came in, like I told you, was Wes Craven. At around one hour and 40 minutes, when Cindy comes out of the closet and stabs Billy with an umbrella, the stuntman was supposed to hit the pad, so that was a stuntman, not oh, no yeah, Campbell, not, not on ahead. Skeet Ulrich's chest. The first hit got the pad, but the second one slipped and hit him in the chest. Ooh. Ulrich's chest has metal wiring beneath the skin from open heart surgery he had as a child, oh which causes gosh. him intense pain should it be struck or have pressure applied to it. Thus, when the umbrella accidentally struck his chest, his shocked expression and stream of pain were genuine. Director Wes Craven kept it in because of its authenticity. Oh my gosh, I felt so. I would feel so oh. bad. Oh, man, we're gonna later, keep it in I there. feel bad for that. Oh my god, that is crazy. Uh, it's Christmas cards for the rest of your life. I'm so sorry. Yeah, because you watch it, and you watch it, he's just like ah, and he yeah. falls down like he does the full reaction. <laughs> if you watch it, oh you just see god. the second reaction when he gets stabbed. He just goes down fast. Yeah, just done. Uh, oh. At around one hour and thirty five minutes, when the phone slips out of Billy Skeetor's hand and hits two in the back of the head, it was completely unintentional. Director Wes Craven kept it in because of Lillard's realistic reaction when he's like, "You hit me in the head, man." <laughs> I think he has the best part of this when he's oh, yeah. die, thinks he's not. You cut me too deep, man. Yeah, you know, deep, man. Come my on, mom's man. gonna be so bad. He's, he's so good. He's yeah. so over the top. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, Matthew Lillard is so great in that. At around one hour and twenty-two minutes, the scene where the killer is sneaking up behind Randy is the one where the person in the costume is actually one of the actors rather than a stuntman. Oh, Skeet Ulrich specifically asked if he could wear the costume for the one scene. Oh, okay. So that's, that is really the first time. It's just stunt doubles. Oh, that's. Yeah. That's a little disappointing in a little way. Uh, I wish it was played by one of the other. Yeah, I think it would be cool. Yeah. Uh, Stu's line, always had a thing for you, Sid, and Sidney's response, in your dreams, were ad-libbed by Matthew Lillard and Neff Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the NPAA wanted to cut out the graphic shot of the killer stabbing Casey Becker at the beginning, but director Wes Craven claimed it was the only take they had filmed, which wasn't true, but the shot <laughs> remained intact, so... <laughs> That's sometimes it's the only way to get what you want. It's like, I'm sorry, it's the only choice we have. Right. Uh, after filming Tatum's death in the garage, Rose McGowan was bruised all up and down her torso and her inner arm from hanging in the pet door for several hours. Oh my gosh, I'm surprised it actually. Because like in the scene after where like the, where where Sid discovers the body, I thought I assumed that was a fake head and all that kind of stuff right there. So maybe they, I don't know, maybe they have to 
hang a real body up there, like a mannequin or something. At around one hour and 35 minutes, Matthew Lillard uh, ad-libbed the line, uh, Houston, we have a problem when he discovered that the gun was gone. Definitely he just did so much fun oh, stuff yeah, with yeah, this. I just couldn't help it. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Patrick Wallace, who plays Drew Barrymore's ill-fated boyfriend, was given this small part as a compensation for not getting the role of Billy. So, sorry, you're not good enough for Billy, but you're good enough to get your guts cut out, you know? Yeah, that's nice of him. <laughs> uh, Rose McGowan was so small that when she was in the pet door, she kept falling out. They had to nail her shirt to the inside of the garage door to prevent her from falling out. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Oh, uh, don't, don't say it, Kyle. No, no, I didn't say anything. I, uh, Rose... <laughs> what? I, I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to say anything either. Uh, Rose McGowan was... Oh, I just said that. Uh, according to Skeet Ulrich at a convention, it was Billy who kills Tatum in the garage. Oh. Not that yeah. he killed her, but that's the ghost face that killed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. According to the DVD commentary, it was Wes Craven's ideal for uh, Casey Drew Barrymore to take the killer's mask off before he kills her. <laughs> Good old Henry Winkler stated that the hardest thing to film was his death scene, adding, this one shot with a bad guy with a mask coming into my eyeball, it took two hours to shoot. As he was stabbing me, Wes, in his professional way, came up and said, do you think it might be more excruciating? <laughs> do you think being stabbed you would scream a little louder? <laughs> I said, I could do that. Then, because I had tubes going up, my clothes coming out my shirt and out my chest, they filled it back up with fake blood, and then I screamed much louder. It's <laughs> good old bond. Yeah, yeah. The killer's final game with Casey in the opening scene asked her to guess which of the two doors her house, is hi- uh, uh, her house he is hiding behind. Casey seems to guess wrong since she is killed by the murderer. However, in the climax of the film, we actually learned there are actually two killers – Thus, whichever door Casey chose, one of the killers would have been waiting for. It didn't matter which answer she gave. She would have lost either way. Ah. See, that makes you Entra- think. That's entrapment. How dare they? <laughs> uh, there's a subtle joke when Randy is shouting uh, at the telly for Jamie Curtis to turn around while watching Halloween. Not only because the killer is behind him in the scene, but also because his name in real life is Jamie. Uh, he's therefore telling himself to turn around at the same time. And that's clever. Yes. Yeah, I thought for sure. Like I was watching this because I forgot how that ended exactly. I thought you'd see the reflection of him in yeah. the mirror in the, in the glass of the screen and see like, oh no, I'm getting murdered. And, uh, but no, it didn't happen. Um, at the start of the film, with Cindy and Billy are together, don't fear the reapers playing. This is preempts the identity of the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised they had like Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds playing twice with like Red Right Hand yeah. <laughs> as well. Uh, there are several Stephen King references in this movie. The fake blood that Billy's coated in is corn syrup and is referenced in the movie by Billy Loomis after he shoots Randy is a callback to Carrie. Sydney wears a jean jacket like Randall Flagg famously wears in The Stand. The Stand. I love that movie. I watched it a long time. I watched it uh, When Principal Hembree's uh, body is found and Randy tells the group of movie watchers who decide to presumably go after the killer's <laughs> vigilante style, well, this is yells, Hi-ho, Silver, away! Which is a favorite phrase from It by the character Stuttering Bill. And, of course, the Lone Ranger. <laughs> yeah, well. Obviously. But, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, the scene where Sydney is running from Ghostface, who is Stu Marker, after he kills Billy and runs through the house, is similar to when uh, Shelly is running from the ghost in the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Yep. Kyle, tell me your thoughts on Scream. I think um, we did Gremlins not too long ago, and we talked briefly about Gremlins 2, about how it makes fun of all the jokes it made in the previous film. I think Scream is like the Gremlins 2 of the entire slasher genre. <laughs> Just like simultaneously making an excellent film that at the same time pokes fun at every single other slasher film and like it revealed all their flaws and how they need to go forward and reinvigorated the entire genre of the slasher genre for 
basically the next 10 years afterwards, basically like that. And then they kind of have a little more of the slow decline afterwards and uh, needs to be revitalized again, hopefully. Um, I don't know if Scream Reboot would be the, the movie to do it. <laughs> it can't hurt, I don't think. Um, so overall, I, I appreciate what it did. I think the slasher genre um, deserves to stick around, even when it doesn't fit the same way anymore. And I'm happy that Scream helped facilitate that. And I think by itself, it's, uh, it's a great film. It holds up really well. Um, there's a lot of fun with it. Um, Matthew Lillard's great. All the actresses are doing a great job. They're both, you know, they're, they they play young and dumb really well, <laughs> and I really appreciate that. So overall, I think this is an excellent film, well worth watching today and into the future. And I hope there's uh, more slasher movies to come over the next few years. So that's my thoughts on Scream. Jimbo, how do you feel? Man, I, you know, you 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 watch this movie, especially the first time, and you are just floored. Because it has been a long time since something like this was out at the movie theaters or even, you know, all the slashers that you would watch growing up, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, all that stuff. And then along comes this film. And it's kind of like a mystery, you know what I mean? Because you mm-hmm. don't know who did it. It's a, it's a slash film. It's like, if you'll hear when I talk with Justin here in a minute and when I throw the audio in, it's it's I told him, I said, it's like, you know, you didn't, you didn't know who it was because, you know, you had Jason. You knew who Jason was. You knew who Freddy was. You know, you knew who Michael Myers was. And I told Justin, I said, the, the thing about this movie is it's so crazy because this is like, it could be real. Yeah. It's not like this guy that keeps dying keeps coming back after me. This is something crazy that crazy people in the world would actually do I mean, now. It, 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 it's it's, it's just that something it, dumb kids thought of would be funny to murder people. That and makes that, it the more scarier. Mm-hmm, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's got that real life trauma to it. Um yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, I, and you'll hear me talk with Justin about it. this is the first uh, horror film I let my son watch with me. And man, you should have seen him sweating. <laughs> you yeah. know, great film. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely a great movie. Definitely, uh, uh, especially the first one. Uh, I got to go back and watch the other one. It's been so long. And then I got to watch the new one. But this, this kind of reinvented my interest, too. Like, I want to watch the other Scream 2 and Scream 3. I think, I think actually, Scream 4 was over-reviewed back in the day. I have to go back and recheck it again. I don't remember... I, I don't remember ever watching the Scream sequels, and now I want to see them again yeah. for the first time or something like that. So, <laughs> see them again for the first time. Um, so right now, I'm going to go ahead and add in the audio clip from me and Justin. Um, and then after Justin, we'll go ahead and start adding in any of the other, uh, what do you call them, the other audio clips that his family, yeah. friends, coworkers, or even if they send it to me and they want me to read it, I'm going to read it for him then. So uh, he won't know what's coming. So sit back and enjoy this, and me and Kyle will be back just a minute to close her out. Okay. All right, did you get something on your end? says i'm recording yes. okay okay all right guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast i'm of course your host jimbo and today i'm joined one of my good friends and fellow co-workers uh justin craig so justin first of all thanks for coming on the podcast no problem at all thank you for having me right and uh second of all um the reason justin's on this podcast because he's um dealing with some issues medically um, and I figured what better way to try to cheer him up than to bring him on the podcast, talk about one of his favorite movies. Of course, he said <sighs> breakfast, it's our, uh, the breakfast club. And if those of you that's listened to this podcast, I kind of trashed it way back <laughs> in like episode three. Uh, and he said, Halloween, of course we did that a couple of Halloweens ago. So he said, how about scream? So I said, we can do that. So Justin, first off, if you want to tell people your situation, 
um, whatever you want to say, whatever you don't want to say, that's fine. And then we can just move on and we'll just start talking about the movie. So. Well, one of the main issues that I have uh, back in September of 2020, um, went into the doctor, uh, went into the ER, was having some issues, and they gave me an MRI, and they said I have a brain tumor. So I thought, wow, this is pretty serious, you know, to come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you've got cancer. I mean, nobody would have ever expected that. Uh, I went into surgery in October of 2020. They took the full tumor out. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm in pretty good shape. You know, you thought, you know, life is great for you now. Uh, went through some stuff for six months and thought, you know what? I'm, I'm getting pretty good. And then just found out again back in December of 2021 that I have the tumor back. And so me and the doctor is trying to figure out where do we go from here and how do I, how do I fix the world and how do I fix it and make it come back down? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a bad situation. Yeah. But if one thing we know about you, man, you got the heart of a champion, the heart of a fighter, man, you know, you got a lot of and friends praying for you and everything, you know what I mean? So, um, so now let's talk a little bit about one of your favorite movies, Scream. Yeah. Right. Um, First off, why would you consider Scream one of your favorite movies? Scream one happened to always be one of my favorite movies. It's got the drama. It's got the action. It kind of gets you in and keeps you in from the first five minutes of the movie. It's not a movie that you ever kind of think, eh, it's kind of boring. That movie got, got you in quick and it just wanted to keep you throughout the first part of the movie, then you start wondering who are who's the real killer, and then you see all these people, and then you start looking at it. Was it this guy? Was it this girl? Who did what to who? You know, and it was just such a fantastic movie to watch from beginning to end, and it's a movie I'll never forget watching it that first time, and I can continue watching it. Yeah, it's. I think it came at a perfect time because the the icons of the '80s, such as. Jason, Freddy, Chucky, all them, they had started coming down, you know, that started going downhill with all these sequels upon sequels upon sequels. And then Scream came out. And the reason I thought Scream was so good is because, number one, it did keep you guessing until the end. It kept me entertained from the beginning. You know, it was that Drew Barrymore at the beginning when you're like, oh, okay. You know, and then from then on out, uh, and the way they did it, because the one guy was in jail, but the voice was still coming, you know what I mean, over the uh, the phone. And you're like, what is going on? You know what I mean? So maybe they have the wrong guy in lockup. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to give anything away because I think people should watch the movie. But it's very and- twisting and turning throughout that whole movie where it has you second guessing all the time. All right. So is there a is there a certain spot you went to see this movie? Is there something special that happened that first time that you watched this movie? Were you in high school, out of high school? Do you remember? I was just out of high school. So Halloween and stuff had always been my favorite. So I like a movie like that with a mask on. And they said, you know, this is totally different to me. And I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I don't I don't think you can beat Halloween. And then all of a sudden this came on and just stunned you. You're just like wait a minute i know who the killer in in high school or i mean uh halloween i know the killer in friday the 13th you always know who you're looking for this is way different animal you have no (laughs) idea who for so just made it that fun exciting something way different than you've ever seen before 
Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I, I really enjoyed it too. And you know, some of the kill scenes in it was pretty gruesome too. <laughs> you know, just when you you were you were so used to that that like cheesiness of Halloween and and Jason, you know, taking them in the sleeping bag and beating them against a tree. Then along comes this, and I think the reason that this stuck with me more psychologically is because this is the kind of movies that crazy people would do in the real world. Okay, we're not talking about a supernatural person like Michael Myers. What even though he's a man, he becomes evil. You know, you don't, it's not a kid that drowned and came back as Jason Voorhees. You know, it's not somebody that appears in your dreams. These, the killer is a normal person. And I don't say normal person. I'm just saying non-crazy monster, if you will. Um, and I think that was all the part that always, because you always look over your shoulder now, you know what I mean? And, and it's like that, that that fear that they brought into me was because it could be true. Yeah, I agree. And there's some crazy people in the world, you know what I mean? So some of that stuff's there's some crazier people in the world. So is there a uh, favorite moment from the first scream that you enjoy? Uh I think one of your favorite parts is at the is at the end, you know, when he takes his mask off and you're sitting there stunned, going, Oh, wait a minute, you're <laughs> in the entire series and you were acting like you know, you love her, and then all of a sudden he's right there and you're like there's no way there's no way you're the one that did this and your best friend that you would have never seen coming well like, so much for spoilers jason so much for telling who the killer is justin just went ahead and ruined half the movie for you though know? <laughs> but that's yeah. what got me is because not only was there one killer there was two of them yep and so that makes you start just... go ahead it was just unbelievable, you know, and I didn't mean to put that spoiler out there, but it's just fine. to have that you would have never have expected. You thought it, it's got to be some some stalker from outside, and all of a sudden you find out it's two people that live there. You're like, no, wait a minute. And then you found out why they did it, and it's even more crazy. You're like, there's no way. And, but, and you know what really gets you is you start thinking about, okay, the one guy was in jail. They had him in lockup. And then she starts getting a phone call from somebody else. And then you realize, you know, at the end when the other guy pulls out the thing, Oh, you mean this? You know what I mean? She's like, it can't be you because, you know, you see the one guy come in there and stab her boyfriend or, you know what I mean? And you're like, Oh, it wasn't. And then you see him coming down the stairs and you know, the way that they tricked her, (sighs) it's just unbelievably good. It was a fantastic movie. It really made that movie worth it to sit down. And then it's almost like, as soon as you get done with the movie, you're almost like, I want to go back and watch it again now because this is just so wild to me. But there's no way that could be true. And then here we are. You can sit there and watch it again. Yeah. And and, and I still get enjoyment out of watching it again and again. Now, as good as Scream 1 was, what do you think of the sequels? Uh, sequence 2 uh, was good. I enjoyed the second one because then you start bringing other characters in. Uh, number three and four seem to start to go downhill a little bit. I, I guess I didn't feel as strong as the characters were in the first and second one, but then the one that just came out in the movie theater. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's fantastic. Is it it almost broke the beginning again, and it was it was perfect. You know, okay. it almost to bring things back. Now, this is just me talking. I have not seen any spoilers for the movie or anything, so don't say anything. But I will be highly upset in this movie if at the very end, either at the end of the movie or at the end of the credits or whatever, if 
Sydney doesn't just walk over and pick up the screen mask and put it on because we've never had a female serial killer, you know, a killer. I think this is a golden opportunity to put that in the forefront. But don't say anything because I still got to watch it. But but is it good? I I promise you it is is well worth going to a theater. Or if you don't get it while it's in a theater, make sure you watch it when it comes out. It is... It would be been way worse than I promise. Now, would you say you have to watch more than just the first scream to get everything in the last scream? Um, or can you go from scream one to scream five or whatever it is? No, you really need to watch some of the other ones to come with it to kind of it, it kind of brings the whole story together. Does it bring out the characters from each one of it? Yes, and there's history from each one of the other screams. Okay. It's kind of like you brought them all together with a bow on it. It's like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> then you start to understand everything. Right. And I, I, and I, like I said, I think it's just a really well, the first one, like we're talking about is really well done. And um, is there going to be any more? Do you think? I think it's a, it's a good possibility because of of what you saw you're kind of like man is it possible and it's definitely possible so i would probably say yes okay i guess it depends on how much money it makes huh right that's true (laughs) so um something that i've asked people to do um well i'm going to ask people to do and i've asked justin if his wife his daughter he's going to put it on on facebook any of his friends families uh want to send any messages to him to send me the audio clip and um, once we get me and Justin get done here, then we'll go ahead and I'll, I'll insert them and I'll try to say who they are or whatever. And or if they're related to Justin, co-workers, whatever, um, when this comes out, his daughter's sick today. So we kind of have to move some stuff around to get her because he said this is one of her favorite movies, too. Correct. Absolutely. She loves it. And me and my son was just talking yesterday. This is the first scary movie that I let him watch. And what we did is we took. We took our leather couch and we pushed it all the way up to the TV because I knew what was coming. You know what I mean? And you should have seen him, man. He was sweating so bad. You know, he was, you know, the jump scares and everything. It's, ah, you know, so it has a special place in his heart, too, man. I just think it's pretty cool. Yep. That was one of the very first horror movies that I let my daughter watch. Yeah. And she's 14 now. So she was a young and when I first did and she's been addicted, just scared. <laughs> This but scream always comes number one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, Justin, thanks for coming on. Uh, let you know that there are people praying for you, um, wishing you the best. Um, you know what? Just keep fighting, man. Uh, we're on this together with you, man. Thank you, brother. That's the only thing that really matters. As long as I got people looking out for me and praying for me, you know, I just I, it feels good to have those prayer warriors on my side, and you know, it's. That's all I can look for now. So thank you, every single person involved that can really help me out. I thank you all so much. And one more thing. I just got one question to ask you, Justin. Who day? That is Cincinnati, <laughs> baby. Let's, let's Justin's, see. Justin's over here with his Cincinnati Beagles hat on, so he's pretty excited that they're headed to the AFC Championship game for about the first time since 1988, I think. Right, it's been in the '80s since the last time they've been. Yeah, there. They, Boomer and Icky, what? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, when we're, we're, we're me and Justin are sitting here recording this, the championship games this coming Sunday. So this might be out after that, but 
hopefully they're moving on to the Super Bowl. You never know. And I would love it too, man. You talk about <laughs> dreams coming true to watch them. Even if they lost the Super Bowl, just to see them get into the Super Bowl would just be amazing. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, I think I'll let let you go here or stop recording, and we can still chat for a little bit if you want. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Hey, Justin. I just wanted to tell you how much I love you, how much you mean to me. You're my rock. You're my best friend. And I love you forever. And always. Love, Amber. Hi, Dad. I just want to let you know how much you mean to me and how much I love you. You're always there for me when I really needed you. And I will always be there for you. Thank you for being the best dad and for getting me into the scary movies. I will always remember how much you were there for me and others when we really needed you. In all of our days, we've gone out and watched scary movies together. Love you always, Bill. Thank you for all the fun times, like going to see Scream 5. I love you. We came to know Justin several years ago. I'm going to say somewhere around 2016 or 2017. I had met Amber when she started driving with me at Goshen Elementary, bus 1602. Now I'll never let her live that down. Anyways, we were work friends, you know, and then became Facebook friends, and Amber would always talk about her family and how awesome Justin was. Really? No shit? <laughs> she was so excited for him to start Ford, and I think their lives changed for the better when that happened, meaning I remember he had a crap job, crap hours, or something like that, and now things were looking up. So we were then with the same groups of people. We'd go out to dinner, Dennis's birthday at Big R's and Chambers in 2018, other work events, and the friendship just grew. Fast forward to 2020. I know, corona, the virus, not the beer. It was a strange time to take a safety motorcycle course, but I did, and I loved it. And so this conversation would be uh, talked about with all of us uh, since Justin used to ride, my husband used to ride. Um, I was wearing my husband out with all the riding I wanted to do, and Justin got the motorcycle bug, and he got him one to ride with us, and now we had a posse. It was four of us, or six of us, when the Mitchells would join. We went everywhere. Two of my favorite places was Madison, Indiana, and the Overlook Restaurant up the curvy hills of Indiana. I don't know. I love riding the back roads to Chubby Rays in Jeffersontown, too. It was all good. I know he was happy. Amber, on the other hand, had desperately needed a better seat. Um, we felt bad for her. She she needed a seat. She she couldn't move around. I I needed a better seat, but I could at least squirm around while I was riding the motorcycle. But anyways, um, we had we still had a good time. No crashes or nothing, unless Mitchell was leading and he'd pull over at the drop of a hat, and we'd be like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Sorry, can I say that? I'm sorry. Then that one time Dennis thought we were all going the right way in Indiana. We ended up on a gravel road that dead-ended. So we're all passing each other in the turnaround. It was hilarious. 
Anyways, it was starting to get cold. Uh, we had to fuel up. Amber's butt was really hurting, so was mine. <laughs> but our last nice impromptu dinner was a ride to Shelbyville, September 23rd. Quite frankly, Justin is a really kind and honest guy with a great sense of humor. He loves fiercely and will stand up for anyone and himself in a heartbeat. I wish we'd have met years ago, but we're old. We had been working at the bus compound 11, 12 years before Amber started, so our timing was off, but we're glad he came into our lives. He's most genuine, and we love him. And and Dennis says... Love you, Justin. <laughs> Dennis says, love you, Justin. <laughs> Hi, right, Justin. Uh, somebody else sent me in a um, message over Messenger. Uh, so this is from, I'll just read it. It says, hey, this is Colonel. I think Justin is a great person, truthful, honest, and compassionate. He is such a fine young man, will do anything that's asked of him. He is a wonderful family man. He is hard, a hard worker no matter what the task at hand, helping a friend or working at his job. I love Justin like a brother. No words can express how I truly feel about him. So, Justin, that was from one of your friends, Colonel or Colonial, Colonel. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, it was sent to me for, uh, by Angelina uh, Combs. So, there you have it, Justin. So, there you have it, Justin. So far, some of your family members and friends have sent in audio files. I now have some co-workers that have sent in uh, some text messages to me that uh, they would like me to read because, you know, we're a bunch of old guys that don't know how to operate uh, a, a bunch of equipment and stuff. So they wanted me to go ahead and read these to you. So uh, the first one I got was from Craig Wren. He said, hey, I just saw this text that you sent me. He said, tell Justin to get his butt better and get back to work. I can't babysit every day. He says, yeah, I'm not the forklift savior. All in all, I wish the best for him, man, and ask him if he needs anything to let him know. So that was from Craig Wren. Uh, next up, we had Michael Faraday. Uh, Michael said, let me find it real quick. He said, um, hey, you know, for the podcast, just let Justin know that me and the family are thinking of him and his family. Also, if you need anything, to reach out to him. And then we also have from Oliver, uh, a good friend Oliver, one of an, another coworker of ours, he says, Hey, Justin, it's your buddy, Oliver. I know you've been dealt a bad hand, brother, and it's times like this that makes you stop and really contemplate as to what is God's plan. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't make sense. And there really isn't any way for us to understand his divine plan. It's not fair to say the least. All you can do is keep the faith and steer the course. Me and my family have been thinking about you and yours a lot and keeping you in our prayers. The only thing I can say is make every second count. Forgive old grudges. Tell everyone you love them. And make amends. Spend every second creating memories for those around you. Take pics and videos along with voice recordings. It's been several years since my brother and sister passed. And I miss their voices, you know. I love you, brother. And if you need anything, if it's within my doing, I'm a phone call or text away. So, uh, well, Oliver, that pretty much sums up a lot of our feelings. And I'll go ahead and add in mine here, uh, since this is probably the uh, cutoff point. Um, when I first came to the, the team that I'm on, uh, where me and Justin work, um, 
There was a lot of people there. Uh, I mean, we're talking on our team, there was probably 30, 40 people. And uh, Justin was one of the first ones, you know. When you when you, when you you work with Justin, um, he, he's set in his way. So when you come and you, you're new to the area and you don't really know what you're doing, because the way where we work is they just send anybody over there and it's, hey, just train them. And then the next day you'll have somebody new over there because they can't ever get the same person over there. So when I came over there, uh, there was Justin and there was a couple other guys there. And um, so, of course, I'm asking questions. And Justin just came and looked at me like, what are you doing? I don't have time to keep training people. You know what I mean? So basically, I made Justin talk to me because um, that's just my outgoing personality. So uh, during the course of that, um, somewhere along the way, uh, we became friends. And um, he knows that if he ever needs anything, him and his wife, his family, um, that they can count on me for anything. So during this pro- uh, process, uh, Justin nominated me to be the team lead, uh, and I was voted in for our company. With that being said, when Justin first went out uh, on his first round of chemotherapy and uh, surgery, um, I wanted to do something for him, but I didn't really know what. So um, I set up like a little, hey, I'm going to be doing a little collection for Justin and him. Um, you know, he just had the surgery and everything. And I believe it was kind of around Christmas time, uh, maybe a little bit sooner. Um, and I said, I don't know what we can do. And it may not be much, but at least it's something we can do. So um, we even had Oliver, whom you uh, heard before. We had raffles for cakes and pies and I think some cupcakes and some other stuff. Baklava or something I don't even know how to pronounce. So um, we did that, and uh, the first first go around, I think we took over, uh, went over to his house with him and his wife. You know, and we just sat there and talked for a little bit, um, and I and I handed him uh, the money, and you could tell they were shocked and floored by how much people cared for them. Um, so um, uh, through all this, Justin was still out for a little bit of time, and then he came back. You know. Um, once the cancer was gone and was treated or whatever. And uh, he doesn't know this, but I'm going to tell him uh, right now. So I'm telling him myself that, Justin, the first night you came back, I was texting with your wife, and I said, look, I said, I'm keeping my eye on him. I said, I told him that if, if he doesn't feel like it or something, something he needs to go to let me know. I said, but I'm keeping a close eye on him, Amber, so uh, you know he was in good hands, and I was going to let you know if anything was out of uh, place. Uh, but uh, one inside joke between me and Justin is uh, sometimes he'll just get that get that anger issue that he has. And uh, I looked at him one day, and, and I know everything he'd been going through. And I went to the break room, and I came back, and I had a Snickers bar in my hand. And I walked over to him, and he just looked at me, and I said, here, Justin, you're not acting yourself. Here's a Snickers bar. So um, every time uh, he starts doing something or says something now, I'll just say, hey, don't make me go buy another Snickers bar. And he gets a little chuckle out of it. So um, there's there's the Snickers joke. So, But then uh, just this past December, uh, about two days before we were going out for Christmas shutdown, uh, Justin rolled up to me and, you know, he said, I asked him how he's doing. He said, hey, he said, you know, uh, they found another mass uh, up in my head. He said, um, "I got. I'm going to take the next two days off." Um, I, I, you know, he he wanted to make sure that he was there for his family, and he wanted to get his focus on what needed to be done. Um, so this is when they were going back to see. Um, it was just a. I think they were going to do a biopsy on it, and uh, so I said, "Sure, bud. Whatever. You need. If you need anything, you know, call me. I'll let me know." So. 
Um, then over the course of meeting with the surgeon and everything, uh, we found out that the cancer came back and now Justin's out on medical. So I thought if I could do something to help cheer him up, maybe bring a smile to his face, uh, to the people around him, uh, just to have him on the podcast, do a movie that he likes to do. Uh, then he would always have this. The family would always have this uh, for years to come. Uh, it'll be on the internet, and so we will never forget everybody's voice or anything. So, Justin, we love you, brother. Um, a lot of other people at work um, have said stuff to me. They were going to send things in, but some of them I don't think know how to express what they want to say um, because sometimes they don't know what to say. But every single one of them have said to me, "Hey, if Justin needs anything, let me know." Hey. If Justin needs anything, let him know. Hey, if you talk to Justin, let him know that I'm praying for him. Hey, tell Justin we love him. So, Justin, just from behalf of me and your fellow coworkers, bud, we love you. We're praying for you. And you know if you need anything that all of us will reach out. You can reach out. You can have Amber reach out, and we'll do what we can to get anything you need. So we love you, brother. And now we'll go back to the regular episode. All right, and there you have it. So... I uh, just wanted to say a big thank you to Justin and everybody that took time to be part of this episode. Um, it was a great, great time. Uh, hope we did it well and did it justice for you, Justin. Uh, just to let you know, there's a lot of people thinking about you, a lot of people praying for you. Hang in there, buddy. You're a fighter. So uh, we're all with you. And with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.